Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. The illustrious Jabba bids you welcome. <laughs> I'm going to regret this. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones. And this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Today's episode of the podcast is sponsored by Portable Church Industries over at PortableChurch.com. So I'm getting ready to plan a church again. And here's the deal. Uh, the most valuable resource you have is people. So the important thing to remember is it's worth making an investment in the people that are serving your team, your setup, your teardown, all of that. And Portable Church has actually made that a whole heck of a lot easier so that you're looking after your greatest resource, your people. Make the setup and teardown of your church easy, logical, and play a game of Tetris when you're packing up and unpacking. And trust me, that will pay out dividends to your church plant in a way you never expected before. Again, head on over to PortableChurch.com. And remember, if we don't believe in it, we're not going to tell you about it. PortableChurch.com. Hey, Church Planner, this is Peyton Jones, and I am here today with my guest, Caesar Kalinowski, and he is going to talk to you about some distilled church planning goodness. Now, you may know Caesar's name. He did a load of training as one of the founding members of Soma Communities. He's also the author of Gospel Primer, which, by the way, is one of the sexiest books in Christian literature. It's an amazing, I have it. In fact, I have all of those uh, series of books that they did. Gospel Primer, definitely pick that up. And also, Bigger Gospel. And last but not least, he's got a brand new podcast called the 123 Life School Podcast. And if you want to check that out, you can check it out uh, everywhere that fine podcasts are sold for free. So, Caesar, welcome yeah. on, man. Hey, it's good to be with you, Peyton. Thanks for having me, brother. Excellent, man. Well, look, you know, you, you guys, uh, really, you, you were part of a, a multiplication church planning network and were one of the founding members, trainers of that, training up loads of church planners. 
And you're still uh, training guys with the different courses that you do. Um, you know, you can go to CaesarKalinowski.com and check him out there. But Caesar, you, uh, you, you've trained a lot of guys and I asked you what your passion was. Um, and, and what your response was, I, I found very telling. You said it is at this moment and probably always will be, uh, gospel fluency. So, uh, tell us a little bit about what gospel fluency is. Well, I use the term, and I'm not the only one who uses it these days, which I think is a good thing, but I use the term to sort of describe our ability to speak, live, and enjoy the gospel in any and every area of life. And so like I think any other language, the gospel uh, is is one that we can learn. Often we kind of learn the gospel through a churchy language, um, you know, maybe a King Jamesy sounding churchy language. And, and, and it changes us. It transforms us. But, but our language then is of the gospel is much in those types of words, uh, structures, constructs. And then we, you know, in our neighborhoods, across the fence, um, in real life, even as church planners, we, we can be like, but now when I use those, that language, it doesn't really kind of make sense to my neighbors, or at least I sense it doesn't. And so that stays our mouth and that stays our heart. And part of, part of growing in gospel fluency first is believing what's true of us. And what God says is true of us and then learning how to apply that to every year of life. And once we do it sort of our walls of fear come down and our good news is not only good news to us, but we start to learn how to to talk about the gospel, the, the kingdom of God and, and that Jesus has come and his, you know, to take our place and and to offer us life abundant. And he's better than everything else. We, we were able to apply the good news to really any bad news out there. And um, so we use the word fluency like that because. Um, you know, like I speak a little bit of Czech from traveling around and doing a lot of training, like you said, and but I sound like a caveman. <laughs> you know, like I, <laughs> I know just enough to kind of order a beer and get my get my bill and find the bathroom and say thank you, sort of brokenly. And so I don't speak a whole lot of Czech when I'm over there. I just do the bare minimum when sort of forced to. And I think that's how a lot of people are with the gospel. And so, like why I said it was foundational to to everything is because I, I don't know how we'll ever plant churches or be really effective church planters. If we don't, first off, really have a big gospel that we believe in every year of our own life and that it's leaking out of us and we're able to equip others in that, I think if we if we don't have those kind of foundations super deeply rooted and that we're really in danger of creating church services and lots of programming. And then eventually we'll figure out, like, we got to get into discipleship and discipleship's all about the gospel. So mm. that's why I think it's it's so I'm such a passion of mine. You know, it's funny the the gospel is kind of one of those words. I remember when I was over in the UK and they would say something like, oh, you know, gospel, that's old school, you know, use that language. And Evangelicum or something. <laughs> exactly. And and the thing is, is you, you kind of, I don't know about you, but I can, I can sometimes walk through a Christian bookshop or I can, you know, be listening to kind of like what's here, what's now, the trendy, you know, the conference circuit. I don't hear anything about the gospel. Um, and I, and I think that we are in danger right now, really getting away from the gospel itself. Um, can you just back up a little bit and just talk about the importance of the gospel and why, why is the gospel important? Well, I think it starts, it starts with who is God? You know, the gospel has got to be rooted in who God is and his character and of course, we, we see God's character like magnified in, in and through the life, death and resurrection of his son, Jesus. It's like the exclamation point on all the whole thing. Right. But why it's so important is because if we don't start with in our own lives, let's say our 
parenting. You and I were talking offline a little bit about our parenting. If our parenting doesn't first and foremost begin with an understanding of who God is, his identity, his character, what he's always like, proven over and over and magnified at the cross, that's what creates our identity and our ability to be a father who has the perfect father. And so just using that as an example, um, the gospel has to be foundational. And there again, I'm not when I say gospel, Peyton, I'm not talking about um, a presentational story about a man who died on a cross a couple thousand years ago and then a whole lot of doctrinal information to sort of prop that up or prove that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about who is God, what he's done to prove that in and through his life, the life of his son, our own lives and our identity because of it. And then how we get to live that that is what's so key there, mm-hmm. how we now get to live. So so we can flip that around, too, and say, like, well, if we're living this way, what are we not believing about our identity? Right. That we're forgetting was provided yeah. for us in and through Christ. And why did he do that? Because that's what his father's like. And he's all about his father's glory, i.e. what his father's really like. So it, it is really good news for our parenting, for our generosity, for our stresses, for our church planting, where we go like, okay, why would we in fact go to a city and plant another church? Why would we do that? When a whole boatloads of them are there, they're kind of, they're kind of emptying out, a whole bunch of them shut down a lot. So why are we going to, well, we got to go and do what? The exact same things? Well, with candles, no, with a hipper thing, a better band. It's like, but what's the gospel motivation behind planting churches? And so when we take that same long view and we go back to like, well, who's God? Well, he's a missionary dad. He's a pursuer. He pursues the lost, even when their middle finger's up to him. Mm. And all the way to the cross, he pursued sinful, rebellious me and you. And so if he's willing to do all that, I wonder if he's also willing to speak into and have something to do with my parenting or the fact that my husband just lost his job or I'm pregnant again and I don't have a husband or my addictions are creeping back in and they're consuming me. Like, does does our father's character and the life of his son have anything to say about that? It absolutely does. And that's really the goal of the church is to see the father glorified. And so I, I really have a passion. I know you do, too, to see churches planted that are all about the city that we're going to do this in the neighborhood, the city, the families coming to understand what's true of the father. And so now, therefore, true of them because of Christ. Mm. That, I think that's, I mean, that's discipleship right there, moving from unbelief to that's good news. It's super man. good news. Because the good news really is, is that he's already done it, that when he hung on the cross, he said it's finished. And so Jesus isn't returning to like, well, deal with that guy's sin, <laughs> you know, or those ones that I just did that I thought I was getting away with or whatever. No, it's finished. And it really is. And so there's good news. There's identity, authority, privilege connected to all that. I want to live out of that. I want to, I want to disciple people. I want to train. I want to apprentice people into that good news into any and every area of life. And why just we're watching people all over the world right now as we train this stuff, Peyton, that it naturally leads to new communities started up and planted, mm. you know, just like, listen, I got to figure this out for me and my wife, because there's got to be more to this gospel, right? There's got to be more to this Christian faith. And as they as they get good news, <laughs> as they get gospeled up, they get freed up. And and then since they're getting freed up, it starts the good news starts leaking out of them. And then they find they have a crowd of people around and then they go like, well, now what do we do with them? And then, okay, well, wow. we're going to continue to disciple you t- towards, guess what happens? Healthy things always grow, and then they multiply. And then, then we get to recongregate them in any kind of, in all kinds of ways we want to. You know, okay, so that's we, really, that's not the hard part. It really isn't, you know? So, so we got to stop the press for a second here, because what you just said 
this podcast has been going on. I, I've been, well, Church Planner Magazine and the two podcasts I do, and obviously the Satella Summit, but I've been interviewing people week in, week out for four years. What you just said is probably one of the most profound, earth shattering, paradigm shifting things that anybody's ever said on any of my podcasts. Like literally. Come on. That's not, Come I on. say that to all my guests. No, literally. <laughs> because what you just said, and, and we were talking in our email a little bit about, you know, guys who, what they're really doing is, is starting church services. What you just said right there is so powerful because what you said is it doesn't even matter the, the intention to start a church plan. It doesn't even, we're not talking about the calling. We're talking literally people just discovering the gospel. And communities organically coming out of that—that's powerful, man. Like super. Yeah, and we're seeing it. We're seeing it all over. Yeah, we're seeing it in parts like all, all over the world, in the West, including. But, but it's not yeah. really characteristic of the West. But I think where these things happen, it's just not how we do it in the West. So, what what are some of the contrasts that you see in church planning? Be, be between, for example, let's say someone really gets gospel saturation. What are some of the things that start rippling and changing in their lives that lead to church planting? Well, I'm going to talk about church planting in its purest essence. So not the church planting that many of us have done. And I'm right. still all for where, you know, we sign up and we're with a denom and they're going to fund us for three years and all that. I, I love when people have that level of commitment and uh, intentionality. I do. And I think we need lots and lots more. I think if we're really going to win the game, though, win the day and see every family, neighborhood, city in the world filled with his glory, that's how that happens is through disciples making disciples. We need a lot bigger team, right? So church planting in that sense is really gospel planting. And what we what we see happening is that uh, first it starts in the mirror. And when the pressure comes off, we hear this all the time. In fact, my wife was just in Chicago doing a women's retreat this weekend, having big, pretty much the same talk with a bunch of great ladies. And they left so challenged, but so freed up, right? So freed up around some very hard issues. They said, I can't believe it. I, I, God's really God, and he's really, really big in this area and in that problem and in that political weirdness that I get looped into at work or at, you know, with my family that believes differently than I do. And, and they get freed up. And when they get freed up, they start to believe that dad really does love them and, and unconditionally and that they genuinely don't have to prove it or earn it. Their fear of man starts to fall off. And when they when they quit needing everybody else's approval because they have the amazing approval of their dad as proven on the cross over and over, you know, right? Like then their fear of actually being and sharing good news starts to dwindle and go away. And because the good news isn't just good news about their afterlife, it's good news about that job loss or their parenting or their fears or that abuse they suffered in college or when they were kids. Now they, they know how to talk about it in a way that sounds like good news to other people. And it really does. And now, of course, that's empowered by the spirit when that happens. But that's the shift that starts to happen. The good news in their life starts to leak into others. And I see it all the time where they just go like, the pressure's off. And what I used to fear having people around because I was so jacked up and I knew I should talk to them and you know, everybody's shooting all over themselves. And like, uh, now I just feel like I really like people a lot more and I'm not that worried about what they think. And so I'm not really looking to fix them as much as I'm looking to share the good news that's going on in me. And eventually through time and relationship, um, I think the Spirit's going to show me how to point out the good news is available in this area of their life, in that area of their life as well. And here, here's the key thing. Now I'm almost preaching, okay? No, it's good preaching, um, brother. 
<laughs> there's there's something that's really key, there's something that's really key to remember is that we say discipleship is the process of moving from unbelief to belief in absolutely every area of life. Okay, that's that's what sanctification is. It's it's moving from unbelief to belief in every area of life. And I think for years, I know I did at least. Maybe some of those listening feel the same way. I felt like the very first click of unbelief to belief must have to be the big atonement one, where you know you say the Jesus in your heart prayer, and now you're saved. And you're waiting for heaven, right? But I think what I'm coming to believe, brother, is that people have many clicks from unbelief to belief in all kinds of areas of their life when we're fluent in it that lead them ultimately to say, I really want to trust God in every area of my life. And and they receive the spirit and that begins to change and move rapidly. But I mean, think about the people you know who've come to faith. You know, they really, I mean, I want to trust Jesus. I want to walk with them now. We're, I want to be on the team, right? I want to be in the family. Think about the relational time it's spent and how many movements from unbelief to belief they probably had along the way. You know, like the person who's very, very selfish or freaked out about money or worried about their job and all that, and that single mom who just can't make ends meet. But the way your community lives and the way your family blessed them, they've made a move from unbelief to belief that God might be for them and he's generous. Well, that's really huge. And or what about f- other fears or, you know, misunderstandings around the way life works and all that? Could it be that people actually move from unbelief to belief about what's true about God and now true for them, maybe in a couple or dozens of areas before they finally say, you know, really you know all of life. I really I want to trust him. I trust him. I, I got to work that out. I'm working that out. But I really want to put my trust in Christ for all of life now. And that includes my afterlife and my sin problem and all of that. That's a big shift. And when people, when that dime drops, that our goal isn't to, quote, get people saved because it's about heaven, but it's about them moving from unbelief to belief in every area of life, i.e. discipleship, the only mission that any church planner would have. I tell you, the pressure's off because it's like there's, the fields are white, man. <laughs> they really are. They're just, everybody around you's got tons of bad news stuff. And, and the more fluent we get in the gospel, the more it's leaking out of us, and the more we're able to speak good news to their bad news. And watch them move from unbelief to belief. And sometimes it's quickly and sometimes it's over years. And you know what? Eventually, it's it's going to also move from unbelief to belief about who's really God and their atonement and their sin issues and their need for forgiveness and acceptance and all that. But man, it, it doesn't, I don't know. I don't, I think we put so much pressure on our job is to get people saved. Where does it say that in scripture? Where do we see Jesus doing that and inviting the 12 into his heart. You know, it's just, it's just we, we don't have it. We don't have it. But we, what we do have is pretty clear models of him inviting them to walk in the ways, talk about the kingdom. So they'll come to be, you know, know the truth and be set free. Exactly what he says in John 8. You know, walk in my ways, be my disciple. You'll come to know the truth and that truth will set you free. And when I was a kid in church and even, you know, younger life pastoring, that set you free meant from hell to heaven. And it's like, no, you know what? I need to get set free around the area of, you know, whatever people are listening in, pornography, uh, fear of man, uh, my father, that stuff that coach did to me or said to me when I was you know, a kid or a, a gazillion things. I need to walk in the ways of Jesus so I can come to know truth and get set free in that. Because we got Christians that are saved. They're not going to hell. Jesus has redeemed them and they are not set free in much of life. <laughs> you know, mm. so it's really important that's, because you're, you know, there's a difference between a sinner's hand, you know, sinner's, sinner's prayer. Or the hand slips up, which you know years ago being, re- being reformed kind of kind of got blew me out of that. You know, I'm I'm not completely opposed. To, you know, if a guy does that, fine. But but 
I yeah, remember, me either. I, I remember at a certain point kind of going, gosh, you know, this baptism, it, and it really resonates with what you're saying, where you're talking about discipleship of belief in every area of life, that whole idea of baptism, that if there was kind of a rite of passage, it was this idea that I'm, I am, I'm dead. You know, I've got a new life in the spirit, something that's, that's brand new. And, and again, it's that, it's that connecting to Jesus. It's, it's identifying with his life and death. And what I loved about your definition of gospel fluency is it really connects with my understanding of the epistles because Paul is, is obviously, you know, he's, he's, here's the death and, and, and life and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, you know, here's the, the doctrine, which I think a lot of people are, are reacting against. As you pointed out, it's not a big thing of theology. Paul lays that down to get to the application where this, permeates or saturates every area of your, and I mean every area of your life. Paul, that's where Paul goes. If you look at the epistles, he spends the first half doing the, the, this is the, the, the life and teaching and death and resurrection of Jesus. This is what it means in your life. And what's alive in Christ mean? Does it mean go to heaven someday? What about today? Yeah. What's that really mean? I'm alive in Christ in my marriage. It's different than it was before Christ. Because of who his father is and what he's done and what's now true of me, I get to live very differently in my marriage and I get to serve and I get to live with my wife in an understanding way and not a way where I have to win and all that. I've been been set free. I'm now dead to that and alive in this area to Christ. But there's other areas that I'm not as alive to. I mean, let's just all be honest, right? Are we all exactly like Jesus? Of course not, which means there's still areas of unbelief that we're moving from unbelief to belief in. Yeah. And all you have to do is hang out with me for a week, you know, a weekend, and you'll see, like, well, not exactly like Jesus. So uh, he's just uh, kind of fun. He's a good guy, but no, there's some stuff in there, man. Yeah, <laughs> and it's all it's all connected to my unbelief, you know. And even though I teach all this stuff, I'm not a I'm not impervious to it. And that's why I need community. Hey. That's why I need brothers and sisters to speak this, call me out, remind me. Hey, what are you believing right now? It looks like you're living speaking out of unbelief. Yeah. Hey, man, it's like Paul, right? Paul says, "Not that I've attained or mastered this, but one thing I do, right." And uh, yeah. get what's behind. Amen. Press on. Good news, right there. Hey, man, brother. That's good. Hey, so um, and yeah. you know, Caesar, uh, we were talking before. Like, you just mentioned something about your daughter. You know, like an experience she had, and I was like, dude, can we talk about that? Because that's an example <laughs> of gospel fluency in in society, like in the world, in a, in a public space, and that's that's kind of my passion right now. So, can you tell us a little bit? Just kind of put some some clothes on that bad boy. Yeah, I hope she'll be cool with it. I, I don't like me. We live this way. It's great. Yeah, my daughter can't give me a call, you know, maybe an hour or so ago. And she says, I got to tell you something really cool happened last night. I think you'd be stoked. And I'm like, what's that? And she lives in Chicago. She's a flight attendant, 27 years old. And she she says, uh, she says, I got invited to a party by Peter. And I know who Peter is. He's a musician and a producer, a record producer she knows. And uh, he also happens to be a musician in and the producer for Chance the Rapper. Some people know who he is. He's kind of blowing up right now. And uh, this guy used to be, uh, they were roommates, her and a bunch of people all had this giant place. And that's how she met these people. And so he said, let's go to this party. When they get there, it's a giant party. And um, she's like, wow, I thought this was just going to be a handful of friends getting together. There's like 40 people here. And right away, the maitre d' said, hey, put your credit card away. It's all covered tonight. And she's like, huh, I wonder who's here tonight, you know? And then someone grabs her elbow and it's Chance the Rapper and they're friends because of, you know, all the years of being pals together and, you know, all the roommates and all. And so he's, uh, you know, talking to her and, you know, complimenting her. And then uh, 
All of a sudden, the DJ comes on, who I can't remember the DJ's name. I think he's someone maybe people would know. And he immediately says, I want, I want all the women in here. I want you to, I want to just tell you something. You're all beautiful. And you're made exactly the way you're supposed to be. And you don't have to do anything to earn that. And you're, you know, you're awesome. And, and you men here, I want to challenge you. I want to exhort you right now to love these women. Protect them. Don't expect stuff off them. Don't try to get stuff off them. I want, that's your role. He says, I'm going to pray for you all that right now. We're going to have a good time tonight. And he prays over the whole club. And then, and then he leads everybody in song. And there's a couple songs that Chance does that, you know, well, a lot of them that are just full on, you know, like gospel. And the whole place is singing and dancing. And my daughter said, Dad, it was it was the best worship service I've ever been in. And it was exactly what you're teaching everybody and what we're trying to live out, that that the good news can permeate the club and it can permeate a conversation where a DJ is setting up the evening and reminding women of their identity and what's true of them and what's true of these young men and how they get to live. And then let's pray over that and invite God into that and let's just have a great time. And so the rest of the night was full of dance and singing and, you know, having fun and cocktails. And, and she says, Dad, that's exactly the life we're talking about. Now, it looked a little different last night than some of the context we often roll in. But she goes, it was the coolest thing. You'd, you'd love to be here. And boy, I sure would have. You know? Heck yeah, man. Heck yeah. I mean, you so could have cool I couldn't have kept up. You're the youngest old guy I know. And I'm probably the oldest old guy I know. <laughs> I was about to say young guys into a play of words. It wouldn't have worked, but hey, it would have good play of words. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hey man, anyway, so this gospel could be—it really can be good news in any context. And when you see it, it's almost surprising. You know, it's—it's it's funny. It shouldn't be so shocking that those who profess Christ would actually be fluent in good news, because man, he sure was. Heck yeah. I mean, he just people flocked to him. Well, why? It was a lot of good news, man. A lot of good I, news. And this is so, so good. Like I—I I think church planners listening to this, it's not that your service. Popping up in a place is good news. I love what Caesar's saying. You know, as I get older, services don't do it for me anyways. What's doing it for me is what his daughter hit on, and that is infiltrating public space. Not infiltrating a weird I, – I kind of hate that word because it sounds kind of like underhanded, but it's not. No, see, it wasn't, it wasn't this big plan. Yeah. You know, they just – they were being. They were being the gospel out there, you know. Absolutely. And that's – that's kind of the deal for me. It's it's why my passion is ministry in public spaces, man. It's just it's yeah. it's where I've been and 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 and, and the- Peyton, that closes the loop. I'm back to what I was saying at the very beginning. Why I'm so passionate about gospel fluency as foundation is. Can you imagine that? That's a whole bunch of your friends in Chicago who are quote planning a church, but that's how they roll. That's how they live. Yep. That's what their friendships are like, and that's how natural and normal it is to just be yourself and be good news. And if some people probably were put off and left, well, okay, I, you know, maybe we'll see them at the next thing. But can you imagine that's what your church is about and that's what's going on in your neighborhood and and you're over tipping and you're just generous and gracious to the staff even when they blow it, you know, and all that. That's the kind of churches we need. That's that's the kind of communities of faith, gospel-centered communities that we need lots and lots to plant. And those are healthy and those will always grow and those will always multiply. Boom. Boom, right there, Boom. man. Hey, you guys need to check out Caesar's new podcast. It's called Life School Podcast. Um, you need to check it out. I, I, Caesar's a guy I learn a lot from every time I talk to him. I would sit under him, learn, learn from him every chance you get, guys. Check out CaesarKalinowski.com. Definitely get a hold of his book. If you like what you've heard here, start with the Gospel Primer. Um, move on to Bigger Gospel. And check out some of the courses that he's teaching. And uh, Caesar's a friend of the magazine, a longtime friend of the podcast. And uh, I think my very first interview ever, 
um, for Church Planner Magazine was with Caesar at an exponential conference. And, wow. Uh, yeah, man. So <laughs> you and me wow. sitting there at some little bar and you the gospel primer had just come out. And, yeah, uh, I remember it. It was funny. It. And there I am with a, a punk with a microphone. You should never give a punk. You got, I know you have a little better microphone now. That's good news. <laughs> I do. I do. Yeah. You know what? I, I, I rock those Zoom calls, man. It's great. I speak. It's like, it's like the golden pipes, you know, it's wonderful. So. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, anyways, awesome. Caesar, thanks for blessing our planners, man. And, uh, guys, get in touch with Caesar, connect with everything he's doing. Thanks, man. All right, brother. Thank you. All right. So we're going to, um, we're gonna st- we're gonna just do one last thing. Um, okay. We are going to real quick have you fight someone in like two minutes. So uh, normally, fight someone. Yeah. So we normally fight on this uh, on the podcast. This was so good that normally, like for a television, I want to double up and play this on the. But this was good. I don't want to redo it. I want to after we've done the telesummit, put this on the podcast. So. Um, Hey, so by the way, too, it's a very small thing. It, it's, and it's a small thing. Um, it is it is Life School podcast. I know it's one two three Life School dot net. I know, I know I it's part it of the logo because at the it's fine though. Don't worry about it. Yeah, I said it Don't wrong in the beginning. I came back at the end and said it right. I should have pointed out. Hey, I said it wrong. I I meant to come back. Yeah, and say, people hey, find it. Yeah. People find it. They go to my site or they yeah, yeah just Google Life School. I only caught you know. it midway through the interview. So at the end, I said Lifeway Podcast. So let's only go. reason I'm even saying anything is so when you do the shout out when you record later this oh, week, you know. Yeah, so yeah, 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 we'll do, man. We'll do. I, you know, I hadn't planned on picking this up right here. I was just, but uh, hey, so appreciate um, it. Though. Yeah, no problem. Hey, so who so do what's you the fight? fight? Who do you want to fight? We normally ask if you got in a fist fight with someone who would win. So um, are you on good terms with Jeff Anderson? From your summer days, can um, you fight him, or is that a bad idea? <laughs> how do you fight? I'm not understanding what it's you're a fist saying. Fight. We asked a fist fight. If you were to get in a physical fist fight with, and then fill in the blank, he would kill you. And so. that's all you ask? Yeah. yeah that's all yeah, you ask? Just let you smack talk for a minute. I would rather, it'd be funnier to do it with Hugh Halter. Right? Okay. All right. Let's do Hugh then. All right. Okay. So, all right. So, Caesar, our final question of every interview is this. If you were to get in a physical fist fight with your bud, Hugh Halter, who would win? I'd be killed. He would kill me. Yeah, he would. That guy is, he's, I mean, he, he never, he never lifts a weight and he's just like yoked. And, uh, oh, he's in CrossFit and he's now. hairy. He's, and he's a hair, right. And he's hairy. So he could just like Brillo scrub me to death just <laughs> in the wrestling process. So no, he'd probably just break my jaw and I'd go down whimpering and then, I'd still be his best pal because he's so awesome. So <laughs> no, he'd I kill remember, me. Yeah. I remember that barbecue thing you guys were doing with motorcycles in the desert at the ramp. I'm like, I want to go to that, but I had a baby, so I couldn't. But I, yeah, journeyman. Yeah, well, keep an eye out for that. Yeah, no, that was that was some super manly stuff. <laughs> woo, I'm telling you that 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 was like a men's retreat. Let me tell you. But uh, yeah, all yeah. right, I I dig it because every fight does eventually turn into a wrestling match. So. Break the jaw, pin you down, and scrub you like a Brillo pad. I dig it. That is that is a tactic. Beware. Yeah, that's that's probably he doesn't even have to think about it. That would just be how it'd go. <laughs> yeah, I'll never look at you the same. I will now think of him as an intimidating walking Brillo pad. Here's all you have to do. Anybody ever sees him at a conference, you just go up and you pat him on the back, and that Brillo hairy back of his, it's sticking out through his shirt. I mean, it's just <laughs> It's it's a weird weird sort of thing he's got there. So. I dig it. That, you know, it could be a strange <laughs> gift. We don't know. Depends. <laughs> superpower. <laughs> it's a superpower. All right, man. All right. Cool. Hey, so that was really good. So that yeah, we normally we don't tell our guests, but because we had to normally we just hit people with it and they're like, "Ah." So, 
you know um <laughs> yeah we've we've made we made a guy fight uh philip yancey once that was that that wasn't pretty <laughs> but he was a small guy you know it was kind of a fair fight so anyways I'll tell you about the time that jeff vanderstelt and i got into an argument with uh john piper that was fun really are you serious <laughs> Yeah, I won't get into it. Maybe the next interview, okay? Well, uh, you know what? One of these days, I'm going to call you. We're going to have that talk, and it's not going to be recorded. Like, I'll, you know, that, that doesn't go on the interview. But, oh, I want to hear that. <laughs> so here's another fun thing we do. I've never met your wife, I don't think. We do, um, we do video happy hours, my wife and I, with people that we just like nice. hanging with. So we'll just set up a time, you tell us, because our kids are grown. We'll put you up on the big screen. So yeah. for us, it's like you're sitting right here. And then we usually have, we pick a cocktail. So we're making the same cocktails, you know, gin and tonic or, or, you know, lambics or something. Yeah. And then we just, you know, spend an hour, hour and a half just having a happy hour. That's cool. So maybe we should, should do that sometime. We should do that. I'd be totally down with that. All right, brother. Hey, so good to see you, man. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for this. Thanks. All All right. right. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. dot